For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So says the word of the Lord in Romans 8, and so I believe it. In believing it, I think is one of the things at least that makes me a part of the remnant of God's people that will always be no matter what. Once upon a time, there lived a prophet named Jonah. He lived somewhere in Israel. God told him to go to Nineveh, a big pagan city in Assyria to the east. And we think this was before the exile, when the Israelites wound up in Assyria. Instead, Jonah gets on a boat and heads west in the other direction to a place we know nothing about called Tarshish. And scholars for centuries now have tried to figure out where it was, which completely misses the point of the story of Jonah. One point it misses is that distance doesn't matter. It's just not Nineveh. But that's not the point either. In case you've not heard the story of Jonah, when Jonah gets on the boat, they get caught in a storm. Now, Jonah takes responsibility and does the only logical thing. He tells the people to throw him in the water because, you know, that will calm God down. Not to mention, the people are praying to God that God won't kill them because of this disobedient, wayfaring stranger. So, they throw Jonah in the water, and the storm calms down. God sends a great big fish. Jonah gets eaten by the fish, lives inside the belly for three days and nights, Jonah prays, the fish throws up, Jonah lands on dry land, but none of that is the point of the story either, because it is at this point that the real story begins. It's funny to me that some people want to debate the reality of the story of a man being swallowed by a whale, or was it really a fish, or did it really happen that way? And in so doing, we avoid the most important teachings of this book, which are actually about God's mercy and acceptance and forgiveness. Now, the truth is, I don't care if Jonah got swallowed by a whale bitten by a shark, or stung by a jellyfish. So long as we come back to the story of God extending grace and salvation to a group of people that were off the theological radar of the times. Because the big story 
of Jonah is chapters 3 and 4. But our VBS flannel graphs burned chapters 1 and 2 onto our souls and may have actually made us forget why Jonah wound up in the Bible in the first place. It's my job today to tell you the real story of Jonah. And it's one that we need to hear today in a world of so much hatred of the other. Listen now to the two chapters of Jonah that feature not a fish, but a worm. And not to mention a whole lot of shade. The word of the Lord from Jonah 3 and 4. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. And everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God, and shall turn from all their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change His mind. He may turn from His fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, oh, Lord, please just kill me, for it's better for me to die than to live. 
and the Lord said. Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade waiting to see what would become of the city. The Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, Yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the plant for which you did not labor, in which you did not grow. It came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people? who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And that's it. That's how the story ends. A perfect ending, actually, to this beautifully bizarre story. And you know why it ends that way? Because it, on purpose, is meant to leave us wanting more. Jonah searched for shade while throwing a whole lot of shade, lost his shade, and then prayed for death. That's it. The last thing Jonah says is that he wants to die, but God gets in the last word, and it's a question, no less. However, there is a little more to this story. Because you have to wonder, what happened next? I mean, what would Jonah 5 tell us if there was such a thing as Jonah chapter 5? And I'm ready. I'm ready for the sequel. I really want to see what happens next. But, because I'm a theologian by trade, and this is what I do, I'm going to suggest to you that Jonah chapter 5 is here, right now, us. This is Jonah chapter 5. We are Jonah chapter 5. Because the story of Jonah, if it happened before the exile, you know, rewind back to the time of Jonah. Let's say Jonah 5 happens right after this story. If Jonah happened before the exile, and if the people came to God in Nineveh, what if the Israelites, when they were sent into exile, showed up in Nineveh, 
to be met by those who already knew God. We think of the exile as being these soldiers and oppressors and captors, and to be sure, a lot of Assyria was. But what if, because of Jonah, when they arrived in Assyria, they found a group of people who already knew God? What if there was a remnant already there that the people knew nothing about? What if the people got to their exile destination and found other people of God? What if missionaries get somewhere to go tell all these people about God and then they get there and God's already there? Did you know that Jesus said something along these lines? Jesus, sheep, and in my favorite translation of John 10, and others you know nothing about. John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. You know this one, right? Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. Or again, I have other sheep you know nothing about. I must bring them in also, they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. I never knew this word remnant until Jen and I were a young married couple in college, living in an old falling apart duplex on Hickory Street in Abilene. The neighborhood was so bad that I parked my motorcycle in the living room. I offered to do the work on this old beat-up duplex on Hickory Street in Abilene. I offered to do the work to our rent landlords. You know, they pay for the supplies. I'll do the work. It's an old, ugly bathroom. Thought Jen said something about a tub surround. Well, okay. Let's go buy a tub surround, and I'll put it up. They, they said, okay, we'll pay for it, and I put it up. Uh, used a whole lot of caulk. It didn't look all that great. Um, you know, extra caulk was just in case. Uh, and then, when wintertime came, and these old, when I say wood floors in the bathroom, don't picture wood floors. It, it, it's not like that. It's like... Whew, they were bad. They were also very cold. And so we asked, can we carpet the bathroom? And the landlord said, sure, go buy a carpet remnant. I don't know what that is. It's leftovers. It's leftover carpet. Go buy a carpet remnant. We'll pay for it. So we went and bought a carpet remnant and one of those razor blade knives that you get at hardware store, laid down, cut it around, and it was mostly in the shape of the, of the bathroom. Cut it, and then got some hammer and nails and nailed it straight into the floor. I said I would do the work. I didn't say I'd be any good at it. And you know, no one other than Jen and I ever really benefited from that little remnant. But when it's 20 degrees outside in a house that had no heat 
other than two small gas space heaters, that carpet remnant made a huge difference in that winter we spent in that house. My guess is that there are all kinds of stories like that in a world that we will never know anything about. But now years later, I know more about remnants than I did back then. And I think God has more remnants than I once gave God credit for that we may never hear anything about. And those remnants include those I may have never dreamed possible when I was a student in Abilene, Texas. Because if God wants to extend grace to people in Iraq, Russia, Venezuela, or Oklahoma, that's really up to God. All I know is that I want to be one of those counted among all of God's little remnants. It's a good thing that God is in charge and that mercy and forgiveness and salvation are not limited to our limited vision and perspectives. You know all that talk about nothing separating us from the love of God? Well, that applies to them too. Us and them, not us or them. We might as well face the very real possibility that when we all get to heaven, there may be some people there who surprise you. He got in? Get ready. I listened to a commentator yesterday, and boy, this got my attention. He said, you can't love America. You can't say you love America if you hate half the people in it. And man, when he said that, it made me think, I think the same may be true for the church, too. This kingdom of heaven business that we are in, it's Israel, it's also Nineveh. God is up to something. And it may be our time as part of the remnant of God's people to say yes to God, be grateful, because this was never a game. It was never a contest. But don't take my word for it. Instead, let me tell you a story about a prophet and a pagan city in an enemy empire who once heard the word of God and said, yes. Jonah reminds us that even as we count ourselves as a part of God's remnant, we don't have to be God. Let God be God. And for today, just receive the mercy and love and promise of God that never, ever changes. You can even swim in the opposite direction of God. But thanks be to God that this is not the first time that God has waded out into the water to come get you. And nothing in 2022 can change the promises of God, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God 
that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.